Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, this morning we are continuing our series, Body of Evidence. Um, And so I shared last weekend that Easter is not a one-day holiday. So I know that in our Western culture, that's the way we view Easter, but according to... uh, church history and according to Christian tradition, Easter was actually celebrated for 50 days. So it was celebrated beginning on Resurrection Sunday, going all the way through Pentecost Sunday, which happens 50 days later. So um, the resurrection is just too big to just confine it to one 24-hour period of time. And so in this series, what we're doing is we are compiling evidence Not evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. The historicity of that event um, needs no defense. We are rather collecting evidence that Jesus is still very much alive. And his presence is very much evident right here on the earth today. And so that's what we're collecting is these evidences that Jesus is alive. You see... When Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't resuscitated. He didn't get his old life back, a life that would be subject to death. He got an entirely new life, a different life, radically different from the the, the previous life, one that would never again experience death and decay. That, by the way, is the central message of the early Christians and of the Christian leaders. They actually proclaimed and preached, not just Jesus crucified, but Jesus was resurrected. Acts chapter 4, here's what it says. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Jesus is alive. Now, perhaps we've heard that too many times, that it's now old news. But listen, it's still the good news. In fact, it's still the great news, and it's the only news that really matters here on this earth. So last week, on the second Sunday of Easter, we are now at our third Sunday of Easter, but last weekend we talked about the first evidence. And that evidence is the church, or what the Bible calls the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the single most important body of evidence that we have that Jesus not just rose from the dead, but he is still very much alive and here on the earth. So following his resurrection, Jesus appeared to many people to assure them that though my physical presence is leaving, my body is going to remain. So we noticed a story last week, and I just want to read one verse, a couple of verses from Acts chapter 9, and it's about Saul. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears to Saul. And he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
Now, this is a really important exchange. Because Jesus here does not ask him, why are you persecuting my followers? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He says, why are you persecuting me? Now, it's, it's a subtle but a very significant theological statement because here, in essence, is what Jesus is saying to Saul. He's saying, listen, though my physical presence is no longer here, my body still exists on the earth. And like a human body that began with one single cell and is now comprised of millions of individual cells coming together, so my body, which began with me as the single cell, has now translated into millions and millions of cells that have come together. So when you come against the body of Christ, you are coming against me. What Jesus is saying is, this is really personal. Because my presence, my body, is still here on the earth. So the body of Christ comprises the single most compelling evidence that we have that the living Christ is still here on the earth today. And there's a second evidence we want to talk about this morning that's actually been on full display here today. We want to talk about the evidence of unity. But not just unity, diverse unity. Let me say this. Wherever diverse unity exists, the life of Jesus also exists. Diverse unity is proof positive that the living Christ is still very much alive and still very much at work here on the earth today. When Jesus Christ was resurrected, he actually tore down walls. The resurrection was about addressing walls that divided us. He didn't just tear down the wall between life and death. He also tore down the wall that existed between us and God. And he tore down the walls that existed between one another. Every single wall that got in the way, the resurrection of Jesus Christ addressed. The walls that were put up because of ethnic pride were addressed. They were torn down at the resurrection. The walls that were erected by gender inequality were actually addressed through the resurrection. Every wall that came between us, the haves and the have-nots, those socioeconomic walls that began to divide and continue to divide, the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually addressed every single one of them. The first evidence of the resurrection is still, I believe, and it remains the most compelling evidence. Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. Here's the very first physical evidence that we read about Jesus' resurrection. They, the women who had gone to the tomb, they asked each other, who will roll away from the entrance the stone to the tomb? Then they looked up, and they saw that the stone had been rolled away. The stone was very 
large. Have you ever wondered why the stone had to be rolled away? I mean, think about it. The Bible makes it very clear that that Jesus had a ubiquitous body, which meant this. Jesus could actually walk through walls. He could actually appear and disappear at will. So what was the reason the stone was rolled away? Did it have to be rolled away for Jesus to exit the tomb? I don't think that's the point. I think this is the point. I think it's what the stone represented. You see, the stone was placed in front of the tomb, not primarily to keep Jesus in, but to keep people out. The Jews had done their scouts best to make sure that no one would ever get to Jesus, ever. And so they placed this large stone in front of the tomb, not necessarily to keep him in, but to make sure that nobody would ever be able to get to him. And so why is the stone rolled away? I think it's, it's rolled away to send a very powerful message to the world, to us. And that powerful message is actually an invitation of sorts. And here's the invitation. The invitation is, you belong in. You are invited in. You are welcome in. You actually belong in regardless of what has been keeping you out. The stone was rolled away to give us this sense of an invitation that Jesus wanted us to know that every single person belonged in. That nobody was excluded and left out of his kingdom. Now, to punctuate this point, I want to make two really important observations this morning. Here's the first. Were it not for the resurrected Christ, it is highly unlikely that I would have relationship with many of you here today. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would simply be reduced to a random collection of people, which means this. I could choose the people that I like. And I could choose the people that I dislike. I could choose the ones that I want to love and those that I would rather not love. But because I am God's son, and if you are God's son or God's daughter, that makes us brothers and sisters. We are now family. I no longer get to choose the ones that I like or the ones that I dislike, the ones that I'm going to love and those that I will choose not to love. What happens at the resurrection of Christ is God puts us into oneness with God through Jesus Christ's resurrection, which also puts us in oneness with each other. We are now equals in God's family. And let me, let me just take that idea one step further and make a second observation. Not only would I not be in relationship with, with many of you, I might actually be your enemy. In other words, I may consider you a person that is on an opposing side of where I stand in my life. Because of our upbringing, 
Because of our unique prejudices, the reality is some of us here would actually consider one another enemies. We wouldn't just dislike each other. We would despise each other, possibly. We would, we would say, listen, that person is not a person that is like me. And so I do not want or I can't have relationship with them. And so I find it so interesting that when Jesus was resurrected, he specifically chooses the first individual that he's going to give evidence of his resurrection to. And it was not one of his 12 disciples. Far from it. We read it in Mark's gospel. It actually talks about it in many of the gospels, but Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Jesus rose from the dead early on the first day of the week. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. He had driven seven demons out of her. So the first person that Jesus chooses to show himself alive to is not a disciple, one of the original 12. It's not a male. It's a female. It's not a saint who had been following him for many, many years, but rather it was what we would call a sinner who came to believe in him. It was one who had a terrible reputation in culture who was considered marginalized, that was the person that Jesus chooses to show himself to. Mary Magdalene, the last name that we think is a last name, is simply a reference to where she's from. She's from a coastal community called Magdala, which actually is a coastal community known for its widespread prostitution. Now, nowhere in the gospel say that she was a prostitute, but many have believed that she was part of prostitution because of where she was from. But here's what I find interesting. How does she come in relationship with Jesus? Jesus had to roll the stone away. Actually, he rolled seven stones away. Seven demons that were in her life that were keeping her from relationship with him. And the very first individual that he chooses to appear to is Mary Magdalene. Why did he do it that way? He did it that way because he wanted to make a statement. And the statement was this, Mary, you too belong. You too are very much part of what I'm doing here on the earth. You are not an outsider. You are an insider. Regardless of where you've come from, regardless of your past life, I want you to know that I want you to see me as the resurrected Christ, and I want you to know that you are one with me. We are together. And you're the one who's going to carry this message to my disciples and tell them that I am alive. You see, Jesus came so that every stone that got in the way of our relationship with him and with one another would be rolled away. And what happens as a result of it? What happens is there is something brand new that he develops and he creates. The Bible calls it a brand new humanity. I love the way Ephesians actually captures this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. Ethnic hatred 
has been dissolved by the crucifixion of his precious body on the cross. His triune essence has made peace between us, notice this, by starting over, forming one new race of humanity, Jews and non-Jews fused together. How is a race created? What makes us part of a race? You become part of a race because you share a bloodline. What happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross and when he was resurrected from the dead and he lives, what happened is he's now offering to every person a new bloodline. We become part of a brand new race because we all share the bloodline of Jesus Christ. What Adam passed forward to all humanity, Jesus, the second Adam, now passes forward to everybody who is found in Christ. We share a bloodline that makes us literally, here's the language, fused together. It's such a powerful term because it's actually a term that comes from the professional medical world, which means something, for illustration, a bone that is fused together is placed together by blood that flows through those bones. Something happens that makes it one. When you and I gave our lives to Christ, we literally became one in him. The blood of Jesus Christ fused us together into a brand new humanity that says Jews and every non-Jew alike are now one in Christ. And here's the reality. Spiritual wholeness is only made possible through relationships. And I would suggest this morning that it's really made possible through relationships with people who are not like us. We do not grow the most because of our likenesses. We grow the most because of our differences. And when those differences are brought together in Christ, we begin to grow in a way into the body of God, the family of God in a way that we could never experience without that. We are one in him. And every time there is diverse unity... The life of God exists in that diverse unity. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to join me and pray. Would you stand, please? This morning, as we prepare to pray, I'm not sure what stone may be preventing you from coming to Christ today. I'm not sure what ideas or ideologies you may have that may be getting in the way of your relationship with him. I'm not sure what your past decisions were, what the demons are that may keep you from from God today. But here's what I know. Jesus Christ came to make sure that every stone that would get in the way was out of the way. And we are given an invitation, and that invitation is come. You belong. You are one with me. And that makes us one with one another. 
Marlon is coming, Williams, to, to lead us as we pray this morning. And once he's finished praying, you'll be dismissed. Good morning. As we come uh, seeking God's, God's grace in uh, bringing us together as a, as a family, as a body, uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, just holding the person's hand, hand uh, beside you. As we pray, <clears throat> let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the resurrection that allows us to be that body of evidence, to be your body of evidence, united together, Lord. Father, we come to you because we know that diverse unity is incredibly difficult. The scriptures is, is replete, Lord God, with conflict. We saw it started with the conflict between Cain and his brother Abel. We saw the conflict, Lord, between Jacob and his brother Esau. We see the conflict, Lord God, between uh, two men anointed to be king, Saul and David. We see the conflict between David and his son, Absalom. We see the conflict between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And even in the New Testament, Lord, two men who loved you so very much and sought to do your will, we saw the conflict even between Paul and Barnabas. Father, well, we don't have to go to the scriptures to find the conflict because we know, Lord God, in each of our lives, we know how difficult it is to pursue diverse unity. In our fallen humanity, it seems that the norm is conflict rather than the exception. Father, there's so many things that divide us, whether it be whether it be race, whether it be gender, whether it be political affiliation, whether it be cultural differences, ethnicity, Lord God, uh, family of origin, country of origin, the list is, is long and endless, it seems. But Father, we know that diverse unity is incredibly beautiful, exquisitely beautiful, and incredibly powerful. We know so, Lord God, because in your very nature, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one God. Father, we, we just thank you. And so, Lord God, we just ask you even that you might uh, just allow your spirit uh, just to uh, reign so much in each of us that we, Lord God, might be so united in spite of all the differences that exist among us. That we might uh, just be able to show those who look on, whether they be Christians or non-Christians, that you really do live today and you live in us. Father, we ask that we might be so surrendered to your Holy Spirit that each and every person who sees us might see this, there is something special going on there. There is something special
that causes this group to be so united. Father, we pray that as we go today, that you might give us a renewed sense of who you are, of what you do, and of what you call us to do and call us to be. We pray that you might make us united so that we might be a body of evidence, your body of evidence. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have yourselves a great rest of the day. God's blessing. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.